Good afternoon. Welcome to the Democracy Forum. This show was pre-recorded on May 13th, so we are not taking listener calls or questions. We are interested in your comments, though. You can contact us at news at weru.org. Please put Democracy Forum in the subject line. This is the fourth program in our series this year to broadcast at this time on the third Friday of each month. We're featuring topics in Maine's participatory democracy, encouraging citizens to take an active role in government and politics. This program is a project of the League of Women Voters Down East, produced in cooperation with WERU-FM. Our conversation today is about ranked choice voting. How is it working in 2020? We'll talk about ranked choice voting in the upcoming July and November elections in Maine, developments in other states, the possible effect of a people's veto in a pending lawsuit, and more. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. I'll be your host for the Democracy Forum. Let me introduce our guests. Joining us by Zoom today is John Brodigam. John is a senior advisor and counsel to the League of Women Voters of Maine. He's an attorney and consultant with over 25 years of experience in campaign finance and election law, public policy, advocacy, and legal representation. He's a former state Maine representative. Prior to his tenure in the legislature, John served as assistant attorney general in Maine and as legal counsel, he successfully defended the constitutionality of the 1996 reforms to Maine campaign finance law, including the Maine Clean Election Act. Uh, welcome, John. Thanks, Anne. Good to be here. And also delighted to have on the conference with us this morning is Mark Roberts. Um, Mark is a Republican representative in the Utah State Legislature, where he was recently elected to serve in what will be his fourth term representing U Utah House District 67. Mark is a successful businessman and family man who owns and operates a payment technology company named Zift. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me on. So delighted to be here. Yeah, we're delighted to have you, too, because I know there have been some um, good developments in Utah that we want to talk about. So two years ago, Maine led the nation in conducting the first statewide elections using ranked choice voting. This year, we'll do it again. Both the July primary and the November general elections will feature three-way races in high-profile contests that may require an RCV count. Following Maine's lead, other states and municipalities have also adopted RCV, and ranked choice voting has been embraced by reformers across the political spectrum. Still, it is not uncontroversial here in Maine. There are um, arguments on both sides, so we're going to talk about that too. But John, let me put it to you first. Which races may use ranked choice voting in the July primary coming up? Well, the races that may use ranked choice voting are the U.S. Senate, U.S. House primaries, and the Maine Senate and Maine legislative primaries. And of all of those races, um, there are 186 legislative uh, seats, of course, two members of Congress and one U.S. Senator. Um, we don't have a whole lot of hotly contested primaries um, and only a handful of three-way primaries. So... Um, the number of races where ranked choice voting will actually be implemented is, uh, is the ones that have three candidates or more, and that is um, one U.S. Senate primary, um, one congressional primary, uh, two state House, um, state, I'm sorry, two state Senate races in Cape Elizabeth and Belfast, and five state House races. Those are in Newcastle, Brunswick, 
Yarmouth, and two in Portland. And they would only go to a ranked choice count if there was not a 50% or more winner on the first round, right? That's right. In a case where there's one strong candidate who comes out with more than 50% of the first choices, then that's the end of the tab tabulating and there is no implementation really of ranked choice voting. But people will see ranked choice ballots in those elections when they get their absentee ballot or when they go to the polls in July? Yeah. Yep. They will have the opportunity to rank those candidates. Um, the candidates are out um, using ranked choice voting in their conversations with their uh, constituents or their prospective voters. Um, they are talking about it and they're in many cases they're asking the voters to rank them. Um, and, uh, you know, we're encouraged. We think that's the right way to campaign with ranked choice voting. Yeah, let's talk more about that in a minute. Mark, tell us a little bit about what Utah has been experimenting with or doing or implementing on ranked choice voting. Which jurisdictions are using it? Yeah, in, in Utah, it's, it's something I've been pushing for a number of years and have had a little bit of a struggle, but finally got something passed where we um, – created a pilot project on the municipal level, so nonpartisan races uh, at the municipal level, and it's all opt-in, it's optional. Um, you know, one of the things that happens when you pass a bill like that is, is then you have to go out and campaign <laughs> to all the cities and tell them about this wonderful thing you passed so that they can opt into it and convince them. So that's where we're at in Utah right now. It's optional at the municipal level, and um, last election cycle was our first time around. We had two cities that opted in uh, to do it. And uh, I think it was a, a great success. All the feedback we got from both candidates running and um, voters uh, really liked it. So which towns did it and how many candidates did they have for the top of the ticket race? Yeah. Um, so Payson and Vineyard City. Vineyard is like one of the fastest growing cities in Utah, if not the country. It's, it's, it's amazing how fast it's growing. And so they have a, a, a really young, you know, dynamic population demographic there. Um, uh, Vineyard had, it was a multi-seat race, and I believe they had seven, um, is that right? I think they had about seven people running for two spots. And in Payson, they had five people running for three spots. And did it go to a ranked choice count then? Yeah, I, you know, it, it's that's kind of how we did it. Um, you know, I think there's uh, some uh, uh, disagreements on how you tabulate, tabulate that for um, multi-candidate races. Mm -hmm. But we did rank choice. That, you know, they ranked them. The ballot was a ranked choice ballot. And so basically the way we did it was um, – and here's been one of the problems with uh, uh, multi-seat races in the past is, is the voters would get their ballot and it says, hey, vote for two people, right? Because there's two spots open, you get a vote for two. Or you get a vote for three people. And I would have city councilmen come to me and say, hey, I love this ranked choice voting thing because in the past, you know, my friends and neighbors, they would say, well, I get three votes, but I only want to vote for you because if I vote for somebody else, it's, it's kind of like taking a vote away from you, the, the way 
you know, the, the plurality with multi-seat races works. Yep. But with ranked choice voting, I can just rank everybody and, I, you know, I, I get to participate in the full election without worrying that I'm going to affect you. Yep. And um, we've also had instances where city councilmen or, or candidates will run for city council. And this happened in Payson. A guy signed up to run. He was on the ballot. And then he decided he wasn't going to run. And we have mail-in voting in Utah. And so the, 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 the ballots go out, you know, early and people cast their ballot. And then all of a sudden somebody drops out and you've already voted for the guy. Yep. Um, and ranked choice voting solves that issue. So for sure. it was ranked choice voting. And, and so, you know, we just tabulated the first, we just went to the first round. As soon as somebody got 50%, they get the first seat. And then we dropped them off. So then we went to the next round and treated that person who had already won like they're the first person who lost, mm-hmm. right? And then retabulated until we found somebody else with 50%. And, and that's the, our tabulation method um, here for the cities. But worked well. People really liked it. There's a lot of concern that, uh, as I've been pushing this, that people weren't going to understand it. And that just hasn't been the case. People, I think it's pretty straightforward and intuitive and and they figure it out pretty quickly. So do you think more municipalities in Utah are going to go for it after that experience? I I think so. So we're on the, uh, um, uh, we're out recruiting right now more cities for the next cycle, which will be the 2021 municipal cycle. And uh, there was a lot of cities. We actually had seven cities who initially opted in, but decided to back out for one reason or another. We ended up with two. So there's five others out there that I think will likely do it. And then a lot of other cities who said, yeah, we like it, but we don't want to go first. <laughs> <laughs> Let somebody else try this out first. So I'm going to be back in front of those city councils and say, hey, somebody went first and it yeah. went well. So you can do it now. Good for you. And um, yeah. John, you know, Portland is in a little bit of a, a similar situation, right? Because they just expanded their ranked choice voting. Tell about that. Well, Portland uh, instituted ranked choice voting for the mayoral race in 2010. And Portland's run three mayoral elections using ranked choice voting since then. Um, but the city council and school board um, did not um, have ranked choice voting. And so a citizen initiative effort was launched last year to change the charter of the city of Portland to add ranked choice voting for those races. And that was voted on in March at the primary election this year, and it passed overwhelmingly. So going forward, uh, school board and city council vote, uh, races will also be chosen by ranked choice voting for the city of Portland. And those nice. are multi-seat like what Mark was describing, right? Well, actually, those, those are primarily um, uh, single-choice uh, uh, elections, but there is one multi-seat um, possibility where once every four-year cycle, there is a school board race where you're, there are two candidates chosen, and so that's going to that's gonna come into play in uh, two years in that election. Mark, we heard that um, Utah Republicans used RCV in their state convention. How did that work? Worked well, um, you know, with the whole COVID thing, everybody, it was a whole new experience on every level. 
And so we used, we, we have a really innovative um, a clerk in Utah County. It's one of the counties in Utah. And she's a new clerk and she said, hey, I'll do this ranked choice voting, any city in Utah County that wants to do it. And so that really helped us get things through. She also started using uh, this mobile voting on an app called Votes mm -hmm. for overseas and some disabled people. And so the Republican um, chairman called her up and said, hey, we've got to do some ranked choice voting and some different type of voting for our convention. Can you help me out? So they worked on it and, and we got involved and we did ranked choice voting um, all on a mobile app called Votes. And it went really well. Uh, people really liked it. Uh, There's a lot of people commenting saying, why should we ever go back to the way we did it before? You know, sitting in conventions, we had a governor's race with, um, I think there's nine people running and you can imagine how long those speeches take for each of them. And then doing multiple rounds of voting and, and crossing your fingers that everybody sticks around till who knows what time at night till you finally get to the last round. We were able to do it all at once. People loved it. Now, Utah is a predominantly Republican state. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say, yes. Yep. And, so, and so the outcome of this convention really matters, I imagine. It really matters. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Inter so, interesting. Yep. Um, I'm going to take a little break here, and then I have a couple more questions. We'll continue the conversation. You're tuned to the Democracy Forum on WERU-FM. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. Our topic today is ranked choice voting. How is it working in 2020? Our guests this morning are John Brodigam, Senior Advisor and Counsel to the League of Women Voters of Maine, and Mark Roberts, Republican Representative in the Utah State Legislature. This program was pre-recorded on May 13th. No listener calls are being taken right now. So here's the thing. In Maine, we, we find it... Um, I don't want to say surprising exactly to hear from Utah that Republicans love ranked choice voting because here in Maine, Republicans are not so wild about it. Yeah. We, we know that party support for ranked choice voting tends to vary across the country. In San Francisco, where the leading Democrat lost her race for mayor the first time they ran a ranked choice voting race, Democrats opposed ranked choice voting for a long time. In Maine, Republicans have opposed it because they lost um, an initial race. In Utah, Republicans like ranked choice voting. So, w why do you think? I mean, it, you know, why do you think support for it varies by party in different locations, Mark? Uh, it's a good question that I haven't been able to figure out. To be honest with you, um, it's a bit strange. Uh, I think. Um, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes we wear our political hats and, and that clouds um, things uh, and uh, prevents us from just looking at the whole voting process from a more uh, re republic, democratic perspective, right? These are people voting. What's the best option for them to vote and to cast their preferences um, without trying to steer things towards one of the two predominant parties, right? I, I think that clouds things quite a bit. Um, 
so if we can if people can set that aside i think it's easier to to get past it but you know we're a two-party country and and people like their control and they fear that this could uh, limit their control for one side or the other what you-, you know it's it, I, I've got some colleague friends who are in the legislature up there in uh, Maine, and I talked to them after the first round of the, the first time you guys did. It, I said I right. was excited. I said, "Hey, how how did it go?" And he was upset, and I wasn't yeah. expecting that right. because uh, you know I didn't know the dynamics there. And I said, "Well, tell me what happened." And apparently, in this congressional race, there was three, four people running, and a Republican had held the seat for a long time. But I think that if I'm not mistaken, this Republican had um, won with the plurality multiple times, less than 50%. And so we have ranked choice voting come in play. And you, I think you had three people more to the left running, Democrat and two other parties. And I, I don't know. And so as you do the, the preferential you know, voting in the multiple rounds, well, yeah, the, the, the preference of the people preferred, you know, the, the more liberal candidate, I think the Democrat won. That's right. And the re- Republican lost. And so I looked at him, I said, oh, so it worked then. <laughs> That's how it's supposed to work. You, we may not like the results, right? Right. But if we're intellectually honest with ourselves, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a better solution for people. Yeah. You know, they, they feel better about voting that way. You want to comment and, on and that? And about too? who's representing them. You have a comment? Yeah, I would just, yeah, I'd really like to salute Mark for what he said and, and his um, analysis there of what happened in Maine. I think it's completely correct. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of time before the shoe will be on the other foot and somebody um, in a Democratic, you know, some Democrat who thinks they're going to win is going to be defeated by a Republican in a runoff using ranked choice voting. It's just a matter of time. And it'll happen. The more races there are around the state and around the country, the more it'll sort of even out and people's experience will will show that it's really not about Democrats winning or Republicans winning. It's about having the voters having more choice. And the voters really like it, as Mark said. Yeah. And they, they do. They walk out of the ballot box and say, that was easy. And, I, you know, why would we go back to doing it the other way? And I think that that's going to going to happen. It's going to take some election cycles for you know attitudes to shift and um, people to accept it. But I, I do think that um, its time has come and it is it is taking hold here in Maine. So, Mark, how did Utah Republicans come to embrace ranked choice voting? Were you really the instigator behind this, and how did you bring your people along? Yeah, there, I mean. Uh, so I started getting involved in the party, you know, around, I don't know, 2005 or six. Um, and, uh, you know, precinct chair and different things like that. And we were using ranked choice voting in our party elections way back then. And we used ranked choice voting in our, I think it was the 2004 convention. Um, where uh, John Huntsman was elected governor. Yep. Uh, so it's been around for a while. I don't know where it started. You know, I just came into it, came into the party and saw it being used and, and loved it. I said, this is the way to go. I, I love this. And then I got elected to the legislature and that was one of the first things I tried to um, implement. And, and I really, I had a bill pretty much every year on the topic. <laughs> 
until we got something passed. Do you think there's hope that it will be adopted in Utah for statewide and federal elections? I think, uh, yes, there's, there's a lot of hope and there's a lot of momentum. Both parties are kind of rallied behind this in Utah, both the Democrat and Republican Party. And, and really, my hat's off to the Democrat Party here in Utah because, like John said, the shoe is on the other foot for the Democrats here in Utah. Um, and, you know, for example, Mia Love, our Congresswoman Mia Love, she ran in 2010 against an incumbent and she lost that year, but she lost by like 600 votes. Well, there was on the general ballot that year, um, a libertarian candidate. Lost that we lost um, your video for a second, Mark. There, a libertarian candidate. Yeah. And, and a Constitution Party candidate. Well, they took about 1,500 votes between the two of them. And I'm convinced that if we had ranked choice voting, Mia Love would have won that year. Yep. Right? Um, so, yeah, the shoe's on the other foot here in Utah, just like John said. But uh, we have a lot of momentum in Utah, especially with the governor's race now, where um, we, we sent two people from convention to the primary but we have this weird thing in Utah where you can also collect signatures to get on the primary ballot. So we actually have um, four, four people on the primary ballot for the governor's race. It, it, and that's a big, I mean, whoever wins that is going to be the governor in Utah. Right. And there's a, a, a pretty high likelihood that uh, somebody comes out uh, with under 50%. Yeah. So, and we've had a number of races the last few years where people have been elected with a plurality less than 50%. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's um, uh, uh, a lot of desire to, you know, take this up to the next level, which I think the next step here would be primaries, partisan primaries, and then eventually to the general. But, uh, you know, I, I do know of one representative who wants to file a bill for next year to move it to the um, primary level. Well, we've got some experience yeah. on that. So, John, speaking of, you know, running ranked choice voting in primaries, we're running a couple of primaries right now with ranked choice voting. How are we finding, um, you started talking about, and have you been talking to the candidates, how is it changing the way they're campaigning in those races? Well, it's been a, an election like no other so far um, because of the um, the usual methods of campaigning are not available uh, to people because we are very much a grassroots shoe leather state where door to door campaigning is an important part, even in a primary. Um, so, but we do see um, uh, some candidates who are um, talking exp expressly about ranked choice voting. We have a unique situation where in the Democratic Senate primary, Betsy Sweet is running and she's a person who actually has already run a statewide primary race running, having run for governor in 2018 in a closely watched um, primary with many candidates. I think there were six candidates uh, who stayed in all the way until the primary. And so she's very experienced, you know, talking about ranked choice voting and, and the advantages to the voter. And so she has been using this in, in her race. In 2018, there was a famous in, in, uh, example of, of the benefits of ranked choice voting where Betsy Sweet and Mark Eves kind of did a cross 
endorsement um, television ad talking about how they wanted their supporters to, you know, rank the other one second or vice versa. And so they were very positive about the possibilities of ranked choice voting. And I think Betsy's bringing some of that to the 2020 campaign. Um, in the second congressional district primary, there are three candidates, Republican candidates running. And this is the race we were referring to earlier where Bruce Poliquin had the experience of having come out ahead in the first round, but then uh, Jared Golden prevailed after the tabulations for ranked choice voting. So there is still a great deal of um, resistance, I'd say, up there to even talking about ranked choice voting in the primary. And uh, some we've heard some folks just say, well, just choose me and don't rank anyone else. I continue to believe that um, a savvy candidate in that race who starts to think about this and say, well, I'm, I personally may not have voted for ranked choice voting myself, but it's in place and I want to win. <laughs> I want to use it to win. I think that savvy candidate might have an advantage in the July election if they go out and start asking for second choices. And um, I think that that could be a deciding factor there. So it remains to be seen, but uh, I think there is some effort by the candidates to um, talk about it and use it this year. Interesting. It would interesting to watch and see how behavior in those races starts to change as people get more and more more used to it. Um, speaking of resistance, um, now Maine last year passed an expansion of ranked choice voting into the presidential um, elections. John, explain to people what that new law was set to do. Yeah, the um, first citizen, the citizen initiative on ranked choice voting in 2016 applied to state legislative races and the gubernatorial race, both the primary and the general. The general election, um, a court ruling um, brought that into question, and subsequently the general election use um, for the governor and legislature um, was suspended. So that's not in, that's not in effect right now. A part of the uh, unfinished work of ranked choice voting was to expand this into the presidential race, both the primaries and the general election. And the legislature took this bill up last year and passed a bill um, to have ranked choice voting tabulations for the presidential primaries and the general election where the, with the allocation of our electors to the electoral college. And that did not go into effect for the primary in March, but it's supposed to go into effect in November, right? Right. The bill was passed in a special session, which meant that the governor had an opportunity to, to consider the bill, to sign it, not sign it, to veto it. And that opportunity, um, the way the Constitution works, extended into the start of this legislative session, which was uh, the first week of January, or the first 10 days of January. And uh, she ultimately decided not to sign it, which means that the law takes effect, but it was not in effect in time for the March primary. So it won't, it won't affect the presidential primary until 2024. Okay. Um, uh, Are you a citizen initiative state, Mark? Uh, yes, we are. Yep. So you can have um, citizen initiated legislation and do you, yep. citizens can veto laws too? Yes. Okay. Yep. Well, we're, that's what we're having. So, John, tell people about the status of the People's Veto campaign to overturn the presidential application of ranked choice voting. Sure. So the, the law, um, the final action on the law was around January uh, 12th. 
And under Maine, uh, Maine's constitution, the people um, have 90 days after a legislative session to uh, launch a people's veto effort, which this was, this was begun on um, uh, February 3rd. Um, a group of people affiliated with the Maine Republican Party uh, took out a petition to start gathering signatures to veto this part of the ranked choice voting law, the part that applies to the presidential election. And um, they began collecting signatures. The Secretary of State gave them the petitions and authorized them to go out and collect signatures. And um, about a month later, about four weeks later, um, the Committee for Ranked Choice Voting, a, a proponent group that's been advocating for ranked choice voting for many years, um, they decided that they, uh, uh, Secretary of State should not have authorized the people's veto, and they brought a lawsuit uh, challenging that decision, and that lawsuit is still in, in, in court right now. So what's going to happen? Well, the basis of the lawsuit is that um, the law, uh, there was a dispute over when the law takes effect. And if the law had already taken effect, then it would be too late to do a people's veto. If the law wasn't in effect yet, then it's, there's still an opportunity to do a people's veto. And the way the Secretary of State's office interpreted the law, they said that the law had not yet taken effect so that the people's veto was still available. And um, the court's um, my understanding is that there could be a court hearing on this any day now and that it was, is likely to go up to the state Supreme Court uh, to rule on whether this people's veto is um, valid or not. And of course, they have not even gathered the signatures yet. So it's still a kind of a pending people's veto. And given the coronavirus and all the rules around social distancing, um, the ability to collect signatures is in limbo too. So it's it's kind of a uh, complicated situation, and it, uh, I think it'll be clear within the next month where this is going. So if they, I mean, their deadline for gathering the signatures is like the middle of June, right? If yes. they don't get enough signatures, does this court case just go away then? Uh, if they don't get enough signatures, then the case would be moved, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Interesting. And And was it supposed to be heard before the signature deadline or after? Well, there's never been, there's, there's no deadline that I know of, partly because the courts have not been meeting regularly either. Yeah. Um, so all I know about the court case is that there was supposed to be a, another um, session with the judge, uh, perhaps this week or early next week, to talk about um, how to proceed. And indeed, if this has to go to the Supreme Court, what mechanism would get it up to the Supreme Court for a final ruling? Yeah, what a moment, right? All right. Well, this, I just add that this has been, this has been, I've been practicing law for almost 30 years. I don't think I've ever seen a piece of legislation that has been more litigated than this one. And that's not good or bad. It's, it's going to be um, ultimately, it, you know, it's going to stand or fall whether, you know, depending on what the courts in the, say and what the, the voice of the people says. Uh, but it has been thoroughly examined in at least six or seven separate legal proceedings. Um, people are really um, determined to um, look at it every which way. You're tuned to the Democracy Forum on WERU. This is Ann Luther from the League of Women Voters of Maine. Our guests this morning are John Brodigan, Senior Advisor and Counsel to the League of Women Voters of Maine, and Mark Roberts, Republican Representative in the Utah State Legislature and an RCV proponent in that state. 
Our topic today is ranked choice voting. How is it working in 2020? The show was pre-recorded on May 13th, so we are not taking listener calls or questions. We are interested in your comments, though. It, you can contact us by email at news at weru.org. Please put democracy forum in the subject line. So, Mark, I wonder what you're making of all this. I mean, Maine is a closely divided state between Republicans and Democrats, and these things can be hotly contested. Utah is a little bit different political climate. It's predominantly Republican, and where this reform is being led by the dominant party, maybe it won't be quite so controversial in Utah, or do you have opposition? Yeah, there's still opposition. and. Uh... Over the years, as I ran the bill, um, Rebecca Chavez Hauk from the House, she's uh, a Democrat. She started liking it. And so I actually let her run the bill one year. And then we came back and modified. And so we co-sponsored the final bill that, that passed. And, and so we've been kind of promoting it together from awesome. both political spectrums. Um, but there are, you know, with all the Republican support that we do have, um, we do have uh, some hurdles in the Senate specifically in Utah um, from a, a couple, you know, a, a few Republicans that uh, just do not like it at all. Um, and there's quite a bit of opposition there. One's coming around to it. The other one, you know, uh, doesn't like it. And he happens to chair the government operations committee that this bill would go through. Um, and, uh, and then we also have a um, Salt Lake County, you know, it's our largest county in, in Utah. The clerk for Salt Lake County doesn't love it either. And she's a Democrat. And so, and Salt Lake County is becoming more and more uh, uh, Democrat based. And, and, and so they've been pressuring her and all the Democrats there in the county that really like it have been trying to get her to get on board. And so, you know, it's a weird dynamic. It's, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say the support or dislike for it in Utah is, is a party line thing. Mm -hmm. There are some people that will, will do that. I know some city councilmen said, oh, this is some Democrat conspiracy to whatever, right? I, I've heard that. But you, you can't find a party line vote on this. There's, there's high-ranking Democrats in the state that oppose this, and there's high-ranking um, Republicans in the state that that oppose it. You know, when with, when this first passed in Maine, um, there were a lot of questions about how it was going to run logistically, and I know our Secretary of yeah. State was challenged. Um, in the end, they did an outstanding job, and you know, pulled it off in a in a pretty seamless way. Have you experienced logistical issues in um, ballot counting and so forth? Yeah, so far we've only done it um, within a county for a couple cities within one county. And so it rolls up to the county and our, our counties conduct uh, the, the, the election and it worked really well. Um, uh, we just had a discussion with a, a county clerk who kind of chairs the Association of Clerks in Utah, who's been opposed to it, but is really coming around to it, especially after the, the last convention we had, the Republican convention. And his biggest question to us was, okay, great. How do we do this logistically at, this, at a statewide level, right? Where you have state multi-county races, somebody's you know, statewide and 
you know, we hear reports from Maine that it took three days to get results and, it did. and we can't have that here. And, you know, people are going to be upset and, you know, and, and, and that question. And, and to be honest, I haven't been able to answer that question very well, other than we're going to have to figure out a way where the Lieutenant Governor's office um, has some centralized place and does the tabulation and the counties, you know, send their cast vote records to the um, Lieutenant Governor's office and, and he runs the, the tallies as they come in. Um, so there, there's, that's still probably one of the biggest concerns. And when I talk to the Lieutenant Governor's office, <laughs> they kind of uh, get really nervous and we're gonna need a lot of money to be able to do this, which I don't think they do, you know, but that's what you hear every single time. Um, Does this have a familiar and, ring, John? <laughs> Yeah, it does. We certainly had issues around cost here, which turned out to be um, much more manageable than originally appeared. Yeah. yeah. And we had a delay, but it wasn't the end of the world, was it? No. Um, I think people took it in stride. Um, and as long as there's good, open, transparent process, and, and the Secretary of State did institute a very transparent process where people were able to sit in the room and observe the process while it was unfolding and there were cameras in there and television. You know, so I thought it was, there was a lot of public confidence in it. And um, even though it did, did take longer than usual, I think people accepted it you know, very readily and they, they understood why it was happening. I think in the future, it'll, it'll be faster. I think once they uh, get the process down, I think it'll, it'll take less time. What kind of voting equipment do you use, Mark? And I see you're trying to say something else, so go ahead. Yeah, we, we use ESNS. Yep. And I agree with John. I think in the future, the technology's there to, to speed this thing up. It doesn't have to take three days. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we use ESNS. There's one county that doesn't use it. And so we think it should be pretty easy to consolidate all the, you know, the cast vote records, transfer them to the state level. Just got to make sure we do it securely and, and tabulate them there. How many voters, registered voters, do you have in Utah? Oh, I wasn't prepared for that question. Oh, sorry. It was uh, just because, like, we've I'm got a, sure. um, we've probably got a million voters in Maine statewide. You may have that many in one county. I'm just thinking of the scale of the thing. No, um, uh, that's, that's okay. It's a lot yeah. more. It's a, probably a lot. I don't know more. that we're we're not. I don't know that we're that much bigger than Maine, in, in Utah. I bet you are. You've got Salt Lake City. We got Salt Lake City. Yes. So Salt Lake County will be larger, but um, I, I don't know the numbers. Off yeah. The top of yeah. I was just curious about that. Well, I mean, we're coming into you know, speaking of the presidential and three-way races and stuff, there's an interesting situation brewing with Justin Amash and his presidential campaign. John, what do you think that? I mean, how could that play out in Maine, assuming we have ranked choice voting? Um, in place for the presidential electors next November. Yeah, any candidate who gets on the ballot um, could trigger rank a ranked choice tabulation. Um, and in a close race, if that person um, you know holds a margin of difference, it could be it could be very interesting what happens here with respect to um, people who 
may not feel like they could vote. They wanted to vote for President Trump, but didn't want to vote for the, the Democratic nominee. Um, there may be an opportunity for them to express their vote for a third party candidate. And then know, they would know that it still wasn't the spoiler because um, they're, they're, if that third party candidate is not one of the two finalists, obviously their vote would shift to the second, their second choice. So it may be an opportunity to really demonstrate how ranked choice voting can work in a state like Maine. Will, um, there, be a, have, will there be a small party candidate from the progressive side on the presidential ballot in Maine? Um, it's not yet, not that I know of yet, but it could happen. Um, uh, I don't know that, uh, that that person is out organizing and trying to get on the ballot yet, but um, it is possible. Um, and, and what would be yeah. the, pro the process? I mean, what's the path to the ballot for Amash? How would he have to maneuver in Maine to actually appear on the ballot in November? Yeah, anybody wanting to get on the ballot as an independent candidate um, would have to gather signatures and have their petition verified. Um, I believe the number is 2,000 signatures, but I've, I haven't looked at that in a little while. And I believe the deadline is sometime in July. So they would, they would need to do that. And again, this is another place where the coronavirus comes into play. Um, those signatures are going to be a lot harder to get if everybody's under a stay-at-home order. Um, than if, if things were normal. So we'll see how that unfolds. So even though he's seeking the Republican Party nomination, he wouldn't be, did I say Libertarian Party nomination? He wouldn't actually be on the ballot as a Libertarian in Maine because the Libertarian's not a quality. Well, you, you tell him why. Is that right? Well, that's correct. That's a correct. Uh, only a, a party that is uh, officially recognized party and there are rules for what it takes to be officially recognized, um, can get a slot on the, on the ballot as an official political party. So they may have, um, they may make it on the ballot. They would essentially be an independent or unenrolled candidate um, on the ballot in November if they met the threshold for signatures. Do you think that would change the main GOP's calculation about RCV in the presidential if he were on the ballot? I mean, you maybe can't speak for them, but what do you think? Well, I think it's a fascinating question um, because it would present um, a possibility um, for uh, more discussion and, and, and you know, stra strategic and tactical use of ranked choice voting. Um, and there is a scenario, believe it or not, there's a scenario where uh, Maine's you know, electoral votes, even just one electoral vote from Maine could swing um, one way or another to swing the entire country if if the other some of the other states fall in just the right way and I think this is partly why um, Maine's second congressional district elector has been get, getting a lot of attention of course Maine and Nebraska are the only states that divide up their electors and don't don't give them all to the win, you know on a winner take all basis so I, I think it could be very interesting hmm. that's really something to watch and the timeline for that for Justin Amash to qualify for the ballot in Maine would be in July, you're saying? I believe the deadline is in July. Yeah, yeah good to watch. Um, you're tuned to the Democracy Forum on WERU. This is Ann Luther, the League of Women Voters of Maine. Our guests this morning are John Brodigam, I guess it's afternoon, sorry, 
uh, Senior Advisor and Counsel to the League of Women Voters of Maine, and Mark Roberts, Republican Representative in the Utah State Legislature, and then RCV proponent in Utah. This program was pre-recorded on May 13th. No listener calls are being taken. So one of the things that people talked about in Maine when ranked choice voting was first coming down the road was whether people were going to understand it or whether it would be too complicated. And Mark, you talked about that early on. Um, reiterate to people what experience Utah people had with understanding the ballot and the ranking process and what evidence you have that it was well understood. Well, we, we've got some polling that we got back from, you know, voters in both cities that used it and voting was, the, the polling was positive. People understood it. They want to do it some more. We have polling that came back after the, the county, the state convention, um, same results. Um, and, and then just, you know, um, at, as we led up to the election last year for Payson and Vineyard, the Utah County clerk that was conducting the election did some kind of trial runs. And one of the things they did is they went to a senior um, uh, living center and they didn't explain to them what they were doing. They just handed them this ballot with the five national parks in Utah and said, Hey, we want, we're, we're, we're doing a, a vote to see which national park everybody likes the best. Here's your ballot. Just rank your choices. All they said, right. And uh, everybody there figured it out, ranked their choices with just that much, you know, explanation, you know, and they figured out which, uh, you know, national park. We've got quite a few here in Utah. People like the most. And so that was um, proof to us that it's easy to understand. It's intuitive. It doesn't take a lot of explanation and the voters get it and it's natural for them. And then just myself, uh, you know, at some of the, the city council debates, I would show up to the debates early and explain to people how voting is going to work this year. And didn't get a lot of questions. Everybody was like, ah, that makes sense. We like it. You know what I mean? And, and it was pretty straightforward. So I, I personally, I think that's a red herring. People understand it. They get it. Um, the, the one thing they don't understand, though, is, in my opinion, the need to rank everybody. You got to rank everybody. Otherwise it's like, you know, I think there is some confusion out there with, well, I, I, I really don't want that person. So I'm not going to rank that person. And I'm like, well, what if, what if you, you do multiple rounds of voting or they're the only two choices on the ballot? Are you telling me you're not going to vote? Because essentially that's what you're saying. You're saying that you're not going to show up and vote in that election if you don't rank everybody. So there, there has been some confusion there in Utah. If there's confusion anywhere, that's where it is. It's, it's with, you know, whether I rank everybody or I don't rank everybody. Did town officials in those towns do a lot of public outreach and education to uh, get voters ready for this or? Yeah, we, we had a lot of outreach. We actually had an appropriation from the state uh, to help with that. And uh, the state created a video for both towns and, and a specific website that explained it. And, and they did a really good job on this. So they're, cause the, the city was really nervous, you know, how are we going to let everybody know how this works? They're, you know, they're election officials, you know, love them, but um, <laughs> they get really nervous when there's changes. So uh, um, yeah, 
we, we did a lot of outreach, social media, created some videos and, and uh, flyers and stuff, and it went well. So, John, I this would just is, add. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No. Well, you. I would just add that um, I I wouldn't just com, you know completely dismiss that that idea that um, voters um, were confused or that that there's an issue there. I think there wasn't there really wasn't any true confusion in Maine. I, I do, but I do think it's really important for voters to understand, you know, how to vote, how to use their vote. I think communicating to voters about this transition is important. And I think having them try, um, you know, sort of sample ballots is important. I, I think in my experience, educating voters about this in 2018, every voter who saw the ballot was like, oh, I get it. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, and, and once they got it, they had a great comfort level with it. And at the end of the day, we had statistics about the number of voters who like made mistakes or had their ballots rejected. It was very, very low. Um, yeah. It was as low as it ever has been. People really adjusted to it well. But I do think, as Mark said, that there, it is important to do some public education around it so that voters understand how to use it. It's important in a democracy that voters know what they're doing. And um, I, I think once they get a little explanation, it, it, it works well for them. So um, one, one more question about how the candidate behavior is changing. Um, have you, Mark or John, seen evidence that uh, more candidates are choosing to run because it's ranked choice voting? Like we're getting a more diverse range of candidate participation? You know, somebody who might not have run if they thought they were going to be a spoiler now thinks they can because they can enrich the conversation without. Well, let me just say that I think this is one of those areas where change takes time. Um, you know, people have to adjust their thinking and sometimes people plan to run for office, you know, well in advance and think about their career and how they want to um, approach public service. So I think it does take time for people to think it through and, and um, realize that they don't have to worry about being a spoiler or whatever. Um, so I, I, I see some inklings of that, but nothing that you could really measure and point to as a, as a data point. Uh, but I think with time, you will see more of it. What do you think, Mark? Is it too soon to tell? Yeah, it's, it's way too soon to tell in Utah. Um, we've just been at this once and and I'm not sure how that will play out at the city level. Um, I think it will play out in certain areas where sorry, right. people keep calling me. <laughs> um, I, I've seen it in the past where you have you know multiple people running for one or two or three seats, and uh, they in the primary, three or four of them get together and say, Hey, a few of us need to drop out <laughs> because we're all going to split the votes. And then this person that we really don't like is going to get in. And so they have this meeting and decide, okay, who's going to drop out? Who's going to stay in? Well, they don't have to do that anymore. It's ranked choice voting. Yeah. All right. That's a great point. And I, I think in the, um, in the controversial race for CD2, there were a couple of candidates in that race who said they wouldn't have run if it hadn't been for ranked choice voting. Was that not true, John? Yeah, that's, that is true. I believe both of the two non-party candidates said that. And, um, you know, we can have a debate about how, how much they were able to contribute to the, the process, but certainly there was no 
none of this sort of spoiler effect of one person you know, tipping the race in favor of somebody else who otherwise wouldn't have been able to get a majority. So just quickly, in addition to Maine and Utah, are either of you aware of other jurisdictions where ranked choice voting is beginning to um, take a foothold? I know some places in the U.S. had it before Maine did at the municipal level, but what are you hearing in terms of other jurisdictions adopting this? Well, one thing here in the Northeast is Massachusetts um, that has an effort underway to use ranked choice voting in that state by citizen initiative. So we will certainly be watching that very closely and we're very optimistic that that's going to take hold there. And then around the state, yeah, there are other examples of places that are considering it on the municipal level, many on the municipal level and and some on the state level as well. Um, I think a lot of people look to places like Utah and Maine say how's it working you know they they call us and they say how's it working what's the status of it they want to know they're checking it out um they want to do the right thing and um and i think in general they're they're encouraged to move forward are you getting some of those calls mark yeah i get um we get those calls regularly and and you know requests to you know speak or do webinars with folks in other states uh, you know, talking to their people, you know, I get um, Republicans from across the country want my endorsement on it, right? So they say, hey, there's these Republicans in Utah that, <laughs> that do it, right? So other red states, per se, that are interested in it, or, or, um, or mixed states that need the Republican support, right? They'll ask me to come talk to them and explain it. And do you know, are there other Western states that are working on it the way you are? I don't know of any other than, I know New Mexico has been pushing it at, in, at the municipal level, um, but I don't know of any others that are, are kind of pushing it the way we have been. Mm, awesome. Um, we are coming up to the last few minutes of our allotted time here. So I wanna give you each a chance to uh, offer a few parting thoughts, just a minute or two's worth. John, do you want to go first? Parting thoughts about ranked choice voting in Maine in 2020? It is, it is working. It is working well. Um, voters like it. Voters are adjusting to it. Candidates are using it and adjusting to it. And I think with time, it will really become part of our uh, real fixture of our, of our political culture here. Um, and it has been um, you know, a litigious process because there has been some opposition from various people. Um, but once that all, all the dust settles from that, I think it's going to be uh, an improvement in our, in our democracy. It's going to give people um, a richer, stronger voice in, in the election and it will remind people that they're in charge. And I think that's important in our democracy. I think it's, it's been a good example for the rest of the country. Thanks, John. Um, what about you, Mark? A few minutes, parting thoughts? Yeah, just thanks for having me on. I've enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I've enjoyed learning a little bit more about Maine and what's going on up there. I've always been intrigued and um, watched your efforts as uh, we've moved things forward. And it's been helpful being able to point at Maine and say, look, they did it. We can do this and different things. So I appreciate all your efforts up there. I'm excited to see, uh, you know, the future here in Utah and, and more cities getting involved and hopefully rolling this up to other levels of government. And, and I, you know, I echo what John said. I, I think um, 
this will be a paradigm shift, but I think once we get there, it, it'll, I'm excited about it. It'll be better. One of the reasons I've always liked this is, is for the ability as a voter to be able to really vote my conscience and not have to worry about splitting things or strategize, or if I vote for this person, I'm, you know, I can vote for who I want to vote instead of voting, you know, against somebody is kind of how we vote nowadays. And I think voters are disenfranchised with that and they're tired of it. And, and, and uh, you know, the number of people who come out and vote is, is going down. And I, 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 I'm hopeful that this will help that. I see John nodding over there. You want to throw an endorsement on top of that, John? No, I just, I completely agree. I, I think that um, it does take time, but I, I do think that this is, um, will help campaigns focus more on issues and it'll help focus more on what people have in common rather than on where there are divisions. And I think in our, in the world we live in right now, we need to have some reminders that, you know, we're all in this together. We have a lot in common. Um, it's not necessarily, you know, a, a fight to the finish. I mean, we can, we can uh, have a, a good discussion on the issues and, you know, somebody wins and loses at the end of the day, but that's not, you know, that's not the end of everything we can move on from there and work collaboratively for the better, betterment of everything, of everybody for, for the public interest. Thanks you both. Um, we are now just about out of time. So I wanna thank our guests this morning, John Brodigam, Senior Advisor and Counsel to the League of Women Voters of Maine, and Mark Roberts, Republican Representative in the U Utah State Legislature and an RCV proponent in Utah. Mark, do you have term limits in Utah? We don't. Okay, onward. <laughs> we have a four-term limit here in Maine. If you were in Maine, you'd be in your last term. I just wanted to know if you were running up against that or not. Anyway, you've been listening to the Democracy Forum, a project of the League of Women Voters Down East, produced in cooperation with WERU-FM. We're streaming live at WERU.org. Our website is LWVME.org for more information about this topic or to learn about other shows in our series. You can subscribe to our podcast at LWVME.org. You can email us at downeast at LWVME.org. Coming up next, Counterspin, followed by Between the Lines on your community radio station, WERU-FM. <laughs>